and welcome to the Platform Comics Podcast. I'm Tucker, and uh, if uh, you don't know already, Platform Comics, aside from this podcast, we have a bunch of tutorial videos. Actually, our uh, guest today, Aditya Bidikar, who is a letter, he's doing the first in a series called Anatomy of a Page, where he's breaking down his process uh, when lettering a page. We want to do this with other artists, colorists, even writers, kind of what was going through their head when they worked on that particular page. That should be up. I'm recording this a little earlier. It should be up now. Uh, so just go to our tutorials page or our YouTube channel. Uh, we also have a short comic competition. We've got some great judges and sponsors and prizes and such. So check that out as well on our website, platformcomics.com. So like I said, uh, my guest is Aditya Bidikar, who's a professional letterer. Uh, he does a lot of writing and editing as well. It's actually how we got started. We do talk about how a lot of letters kind of fall into lettering. They wasn't necessarily their goal, but you know he really found uh, an art to lettering that he didn't even know existed, um, and a lot of creative outlet in it as well. And he absolutely loves lettering. Now he's super passionate about it. He's you know he talks about how he makes his own fonts and he started lettering by hand, and you know he really explores um, the world of lettering. I actually was reading a comic called Isola which uh, I think it won an Eisner, or at least it was nominated. Um, and from the very first page, his lettering was so cool and so interesting um, that I went and you know looked up other books he had done, and he's just consistently doing really interesting things with lettering. For people who are trying to get into the comic book industry, um, we do talk about how he got his first jobs, how he, how he maintains his relationships with creators and publishers to continue to get work. Um, he is uh, Indian, and he lives in India, so... It presents an even bigger challenge for him because, you know, he can't uh, necessarily go to all the conventions and meet people in person. But, you know, he uh, uses Twitter a lot and social media to to reach out to people and to stay in contact with people. So it took him several years before he really developed the relationships with people to get work regularly. So if you're trying to break into comics, I think there's a lot of really good stuff in this interview uh, for that. He also talks about, you know, maintaining uh, the business of being a letterer, you know, how much he has to charge and when he has to ask for more money for, for making revisions and things, you know, and really knowing what your work is worth and not being afraid to, you know, ask and obviously be polite and things like that. But he, you know, he, he knows how to set his boundaries and not get uh, taken advantage of as a, a freelance artist, which a lot of freelancers will tell you, you know, clients will boss you around and kind of expect the world from you and you know you have to be able to set limits and say i'm willing to do up to here but after that you got to pay me more money and of course most people are understanding you know it just takes a certain amount of confidence in yourself and, and things like that so that takes time to develop and he knows he's got the credits and, and the relationships to really uh, demand what he thinks he's worth like i said he's not just kind of a standard letterer doing everything by the book he does a lot of really interesting stuff and he talks about where he gets his inspiration from you know, all kinds of different art, not just comics and, you know, typography and things like that. So a lot of really useful information in, in this one, especially if you're trying to get into lettering. But even if you're just trying to be a freelance colorist or or artist or inker, that sort of thing, um, you know, everybody's kind of playing the same games. So I hope you enjoy. This is my interview with Aditya Bidikar. Obviously, your uh, main credits are lettering, and I'm pretty sure that's the majority of what what you do right is lettering yep that's it uh, but i did see that you have some writing credits and you do some editing as well yeah i feel like letterers kind of always start kind of wanting to do writing or art or something and then they kind of learn the lettering skill and then they you know they start lettering just because it gets more demand and you kind of fall into it is that your case or did you always want to do lettering uh, i actually fell into it like exactly like that uh, i actually started out as a prose writer and comics actually came into my life like much later, I think when in my early 20s or like maybe late teens. And 
I started want like I wanted to make a comic, so I wrote a comic and I got somebody to draw it, and then like both of us together lettered it like with Myriad Pro in Photoshop, and we did a terrible job of it, and like I was pretty happy. I didn't really know like what I was doing wrong particularly, uh, but then I met a writer who actually walked me through what I was doing wrong with the lettering, and he actually convinced me that you know lettering is a lot more important than uh, I was giving it credit. That's actually when I started to like learn about lettering, and I joined a couple of forums and uh, kind of just just because I wanted to letter my own comics well. And then at some point of time, I started getting lettering credits and not writing credits. And then for a few personal reasons, I kind of stopped writing, which had nothing to do with uh, lettering was making me more money or something like that. It was just like I needed to stop writing for a while. And I wanted to do something with my life that felt creative and positive. And that turned out to be lettering. Like So lettering kind of became what I was more interested in. Was that surprising to you that lettering can be... I don't know, an artistic outlet and it can kind of fulfill you in ways that maybe you didn't realize? Totally, because I had never thought of thought about that before. Like I'd literally read digitally lettered comics and not realized that they were digitally lettered. Like this was me in my early 20s. I couldn't couldn't have told you the difference between like a hand-lettered comic and a digitally lettered comic. I wouldn't really have told you what skills the letter is bringing to the table or even necessarily notice different kinds of lettering. Even though I was like, I'd already always been like a font nerd, like I'd always uh, loved typefaces and stuff. But then when I started doing it, I realized that it had a lot more nuances to it. And uh, it actually had a lot more control over how somebody reads the page than I'd given it credit for. So that was what actually attracted me towards it, because I realized that the final arbiter of the read is actually going to be the letterer, like to a large degree. How did you learn? You mentioned you went on some some forums and things, but how did you really learn the the technical stuff, like I know there's a lot of rules with lettering. Yeah, so I, I learned by making mistakes mostly. Uh, so I um, so there are these two websites, like so balloontails.com is a tutorial website by uh, the people at Comicraft. I read those and I kind of learned the basics of how to use uh, Adobe Illustrator. And then I would submit like, I would submit my work to the lettering forums. This is this was a forum that had people like Todd Klein, Kurt Hathaway, um, Nate, Nate Picos of Blambot. Um, you know, those people were on that forum and you were basically getting guidance from the vets. That was pretty cool. Like th these were people who had lettered some of my favorite comics and they were telling me what I was doing wrong and how to correct it. And that's actually how I learned the technicals mostly. So uh, there's, there's a bunch of articles online, uh, like Nate Picos has a, a, you know, lettering grammar article. Then like balloontails.com is still around. Jim Campbell has done a lettering guide. At, at, at this point, I think John Rochelle of Comicraft has an actual lettering course on lynda.com. But back when I started, that wasn't the case. So it was a matter of like just making mistakes and uh, listening to people who are correcting them. And I know Comicraft also, they have a book. Yeah, I got that much later. And by that time, I don't think that book was particularly useful to me. But that's because the the Balloon Tales website covered most of it. Oh, okay. And also I'd been doing experimentations uh, in the meantime. The the forum you mentioned, is it is it still around? I think so, but I think it's kind of, uh, it's dormant if not dead at this point, like the lettering, uh, lettering forum specifically. Uh, it's on digitalwebbing.com, which is actually a thriving website for, uh, I think, amateur creators. But the lettering uh, forum particularly used to have a lot of veterans. And I... I think it's kind of dead now. Like I haven't been there in a year or so. Do Do you think there's anything like that now, where um, people can show their their lettering work, or even artists? Is there places where people can show their artwork and kind of have people give them feedback? And I 
think digital webbing still does that for like the art and writing stuff. You might need to check that. But other than that, most people in comics are kind of fairly enthusiastic about them. And even if they're pros, they're kind of very friendly. So I've always found it useful to actually like just send work to people who can tell you what you're doing wrong and uh, be respectful if they don't have the time. So that's I think that's very important. But like I think you could easily send like I, I've had people approaching me and kind of asking me to look over their work. And I'm generally happy to do that if I have the time. You did mention that uh, you learned to use Illustrator for lettering. And yep. it seems like that's what everybody uses. Uh, is there any is there any other software that people can use besides Illustrator? Mm, I personally haven't, but that's because I like certain features of Illustrator that I've not found anywhere else. But uh, Affinity Designer apparently is a pretty solid competitor for Illustrator. So Jim Campbell, the guy who who's done the lettering guide as well. So he's been experimenting with that and he, he's, he says that um, you can actually let your comics pages in Affinity Designer. The problem is just the delivery because most companies use like Adobe InDesign and stuff like that. So uh, if you want kind of compatibility on all levels, that might be a little more difficult. But if you're just starting out, um, it's I think a $40 software that you can just purchase once, like uh, unlike Illustrator, which you need to buy a license for, like it's a, it's a subscription, right? There's a free software called Inkscape, but from all accounts, it's, like very complicated and it's sort of design oriented rather than lettering oriented. So that might not be as useful. See, I think uh, the problem is that uh, when you're kind of lettering in the industry, you're working for different kinds of people. So some people will want editable files. And I what I do know is that Affinity Designer can't give you editable AI files because that's a proprietary format from uh, Adobe. So that's going to be a problem. But uh, are there publishers or, or other people who ask you for the the Illustrator file and actually move your your lettering around and edit your lettering? Uh, there are some people, uh, fewer now than before. Most people now, when they ask for live files, they're doing that in case they change their mind about the text rather than about the balloons. Um, but I can still look at the printed comic and I I know exactly where they've changed stuff. I've sort of made my peace with it like I wouldn't do it for certain projects but there are other projects where I'm kind of okay to do it because also sometimes they're just trying to make life easier for you you know like so there are there are companies where uh, they pay a certain page rate and in return they will not bother you like you just do this one lettering pass for us we'll do everything else so those people need life files because they need to kind of go into it and make changes. And most of the time, they're not really like bad. Like maybe I wouldn't, I would personally not do a specific thing, but it doesn't like hurt me to look at it or anything like that. There are other people who have kind of uh, drastically changed stuff. And I've once I've stopped working with those people because they wouldn't, they wouldn't stop. And I kind of said that, look, you could come back to me with these things. Like, it's not like I'm not willing to do uh, revisions, but they just kind of went their own way, and that was something that I did not appreciate. So, uh, but most of the time they're quite respectful. Like, so you so you started learning how to letter, and I'm sure you know you kind of just did some what I would call more standard lettering, yeah, which is what I've done as a letterer, just kind of straightforward. Learn how to make balloons, learn how to make you know uh, sound effects, that sort of thing. Right. The reason I reached out to you is I was reading the comic book Isola that you lettered, and I was just like. From the first page, you were doing very interesting things with the lettering. Thank you. Um, and you just mentioned using sp special brushes and things like that. Right. So when when did that start to happen? When did you start to um, kind of think outside the box and do more creative lettering? 
Right. I think a lot of my development is kind of looking at other people's work and kind of being jealous of it. <laughs> so let me kind of try and push myself to see what I could do. Because till then, lettering was just a tool to tell a story. Like that sort of like the writing was more important and the lettering was just like a way to get there. So actually, I kind of um, started looking at artwork more and tried to see how that works to kind of... Uh, bring my lettering into a place where I could engage with the artwork uh, a lot better. That was the impetus. And then I just then I just would just look up stuff like how to get like natural feeling brushes in Illustrator and, you know, try and kind of figure stuff uh, that way. And do you think that that's important? I mean, I'm, I'm sure the answer is is yes. But did you notice that you were getting more work or people were more impressed with your work? Because I think you have to differentiate yourself as a letter. Uh, I think it has recently more than before. Like before, I think uh, people would look at my work and think of, it is like another version of a competent uh, lettering job. Um, but now I think specifically with uh, stuff like Isola and Little Bird and uh, a couple of more, like I, I, I hand lettered a comic last year. So I think those things kind of made people a bit more conscious of what I was actually doing that was specific to my work as opposed to like common among, you know, other people. You know, if, if you get me on to... To a project, I'm going to bring a certain approach to it that people might like. You know, I think, uh, and that happened recently. That that wasn't, like, I, I was frustrated for a while because I didn't necessarily think that people were noticing what I was trying to do. But I think that's something that you're looking for for your personal gratification rather than uh, that's kind of making people happy rather than making yourself happy. So, like, I started just focusing on that as something that makes me happy and kind of stopped worrying about, like, what impression that's giving people necessarily. And... Yeah, like I think even now I'll do some styles that are a lot more in quotes mainstream, but they are still very specific to me. Well, lettering, they always say, is kind of like the the invisible art. Like they say good lettering is lettering you don't even notice, right? Right. I, I generally disagree with that. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I, I sort of get the point behind it, which is that it, it needs to mesh with the other things on the page. But... Uh, I think that stuff that's ostentatious also has uh, value if you if you kind of deploy it with specificity and with kind of thought behind it. Invisible is good when you want it to be invisible, but there are there are times when you kind of want to yeah even like coloring or artwork like there are points where the artist or the colorist will you know go wild on the page, and there are times when you want even the lettering to do that. So you you mentioned. That when you started to kind of experiment more, you were looking at other people and just kind of jealous. You're saying, oh, I want to be able to, you know, <laughs> do work like that. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of pushed I mean, you. Jealous, I mean, I, I know I said jealous, but that's a bit strong. I, it's more like, uh, you know, you can be jealous of the work, but maybe not of the person. So right. like, I think as long as you're jealous of the work, it's fine. Uh, but like maybe sort of not don't take it into personal space. Yeah, no, of course you can't say like, oh, these people are so good and I suck and I'm never going to be good. You know, I see some people do that. And I, I don't think that's necessarily good for you or the other person. So, But you did mention that you, you kind of started to see really good letters doing interesting work and that inspired you. Right. Is there something now did, where you get new ideas from? I mean, is it only from other letters and comics or do you reach outside of comics and do you have like a, a folder of like cool visual ideas or anything like that to inspire you? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a, I have a design library that I kind of look at all the time. Uh, I actually kind of look, I've been looking at uh, color quite a bit recently and like how people use color in their uh, typographical work. And I've been trying to kind of, um, you know, do more of that stuff. Uh, but also I, I've been going sort of backward in time and kind of refer, referring to lettering from the 50s and 60s or even like, even the 40s. 
because there was a lot of stuff that was being done during the nascent era of comics that we might have forgotten and that might be an interesting tool to kind of use now. Uh, and I'm sure I've done like a couple of things that I stole from there. <laughs> but yeah, like I've been looking at uh, a bunch of like mid mid 20th century designers to kind of figure out what what they do with color. Uh, you seem like you're you're very uh, driven with this and 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 always trying to you know improve yourselves. And you you mentioned that you you hand lettered a comic. Yeah. You 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 have a font. You you make fonts as well. So did all of this start like as you were lettering? You just kind of started to expand. Like how else can I do this? How else can I grow? Or is it all this just you trying to expand your lettering universe? Yeah, it is because um, th- there's a different thing that. Um, whatever discipline you're actually from uh, will let you bring to lettering. So like, uh, let me explain that. I think when I started out, I brought a writer's skill. I could, I knew how to paste something and, you know, I was very driven by the storytelling. And then I started looking at what artists were doing and I started trying to integrate that, you know, like stuff like uh, what an artist would do when lettering themselves that letterers don't tend to do when lettering an artist. So I would, I would kind of, uh, you know, look at uh, David Matsushelli's work and like how Totline lettered him and how he lettered himself. Um, and, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of people who've kind of, uh, they letter their own work when they're doing indie comics, but like they get a letterer when they're doing work for the big two. So how how do those things differ? Then sort of expanding forward, what what is it that a hand letterer can do that I who started out as a digital letter wasn't able to do? So I started practicing that. And then uh, fonts kind of came naturally because I realized that, um, somebody like Nate Picos or um, Todd Klein or Clem Robbins who are making fonts, they understand something about the work that I don't. And I would like to understand those things. All of it's actually about comics, because like, um, as you said at the beginning, I'm not just a letterer, I'm also a writer and an editor. So there are things that as an editor, I can bring by knowing all of these things that even if it doesn't really affect my lettering, it will affect the way I talk about comics to like, you know, with other people, you know, that's important because uh, essentially my obsession in life is comics. Like it's not, lettering is not necessarily the most important thing. It's comics. Like I love the medium and anything that gives me a better understanding of the medium is pretty like important to me. Let me ask you about, um, about the rules of of lettering because there are a lot of rules, like things like crossbar eyes and, uh, you know, balloon tails crossing and things like that. Are there certain, I've just seen more and more comics kind of breaking the rules these days. Like I was reading an Ed Brubaker book that they use crossbar eyes. I think it's paper girls uses like lowercase letters. Yeah. So like, are there any rules that you think, no, I always follow these rules. These are my rules or, or is everything kind of up for debate? I think everything's up for debate as long as you can make a case for it. I don't know, the paper girls thing. Like, I, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with lowercase uh, lettering. I personally don't like it quite as much as uppercase lettering, but I, I don't necessarily have like Eric Lawson's point of view where he doesn't read a comic that has lowercase lettering or something like that. Um, and I've, I've uh, used lowercase lettering in my own work. Uh, what I think about this is that the writer and the artist kind of own the comic in a way that I don't necessarily because I'm spending a lot less time on it. So if they want something that I wouldn't do naturally, as long as they can make a case for it, I'm happy to do that. Uh, on something like Motor Crush, where I've used very stubby manga style tales, uh, the point is that we still need to have clarity. We still need to have storytelling clarity. But as long as we can maintain maintain that, then, you know, we can play with these other things. So the crossbar, I think, for example, it distracts me personally when somebody uses crossbar eyes in the middle of a word. On the other hand, when you read European comics, they don't have crossbar eyes. Instead, they will have a single bar eye for the 
uh, personal pronouns and they'll use an us uh, you know a lowercase i with a dot even in the middle of uppercase lettering oh wow um, there are places where it just cl- is clearly accidental and those are the places where it bothers me where somebody hasn't thought about it i, I remember actually one of my artist friends uh, in india i told them once about like the rule that oh you're not supposed to cross tails and his response was can let me see if i can draw an entire comic where the crossing tails is part of the story and he he showed it to me like i don't think he's put it up anywhere but it was like a two page story about two people having sex you never see them climb into bed but as they kind of go off panel and the tails are actually telling the story of their coupling oh wow that is interesting yeah yeah i mean i, I think you mentioned like you, you can tell when it's a mistake and when it's on purpose. Yeah, the, on the other hand there are sometimes where um you know it takes me a while to figure out the logic of what they're doing. I remember uh this thing, uh East of West. East of West doesn't use quotation marks in quote captions. And when I first tried to read it for like four or five issues, I was very confused by the differing voices in the captions, but I kept trying to reconcile that as one voice. so it is a very disorienting reading experience and i kind of had to put the comic down because i couldn't understand what was happening because like it was literally confusing and the second time i tried to read it i realized that okay hang on some of these captions are italicized and some of these captions are not italicized let me try and see if there's a difference between those two and then i turned then it turned out that the italicized captions were the narrative captions and the non italicized captions were the quote captions and while it's a comic that i absolutely love I don't know whether that was the best decision because it genuinely confused the reader into abandoning the book for a while at least. No, it's it's interesting. I think uh I remember I was I was some panel at a convention and this person was talking about taking all the rules from filmmaking and cinematography. There are certain rules you follow with filmmaking because it, if not you disorient the viewer like this 180 degree rule and yeah. these 30% rules were they're just rules cuz you want to make sure the person understands what's happening. I'm sure you've seen a movie or a, a TV show where there's like an action scene and you're like, "Wait, who's shooting at who? What's going on?" <laughs> like yep. and I think uh you make a good point with the lettering that like you don't want to stop the person to have to figure out, "Wait, who said this?" They can't see what's in your head when you're writing it, so you have to like yeah, try to make it clear. Yeah, I mean, that's true unless you actually want them to stop for whatever reason. and that can also happen like sometimes you want to do something that's kind of off left field because you want the reader to stop there and notice that i i want to move on a little bit uh to the, the actual business and the work of uh, of lettering because i know a lot of people listening to this are aspiring creators right. possibly aspiring letterists but maybe even artists and things like that yeah, so i want to i want to ask how did you get started um getting work like how did you get your first jobs when you had really nothing uh in your name. So the first lettering job I got was actually in India. Like I I I live in India. Uh, I continue to live in India. And uh the first lettering job I got was actually uh that I applied applied to a comic book company as a writer and they said that we don't have any writing gigs but do you do anything else? And at the time I just familiarized myself with lettering. So I told them that I could do this thing but I was not really pro. and the publisher said something very nice to me which was that uh, well we won't know if you're good enough to go pro uh, until we see it right so just show us what you're doing and i showed them my lettering work and they liked it enough to kind of give me my first job that continued for like a year and a half or so but india doesn't really have that much uh, that many comics happening at any time so i started kind of looking at uh, american comics and seeing if i could kind of do something there 
And the first job I got for an American comic was actually, um, there's an artist called David Hahn, who's done work with like DC Comics for Lucifer and stuff like that. So he was doing a comic by himself called All Nighter at Image Comics. And he put up a lettered preview of the first issue. And I was kind of incredibly audacious and like maybe like rude. Uh, but I, I asked him if I could write to him about that book. And I kind of wrote, I, I said that, look, uh, the art is great, the, uh, the writing is great, but here are things that you could be doing with your lettering that would make it better. And I kind of, I did the work of like kind of going through what I felt he was uh, not doing wrong necessarily, but what the things that he could think about. And at the end, I said that if you'd rather not think about any of these things, but you want better lettering, I could do that for you. And I kind of offered up my services. And he was like, uh, well, I like the way you've just kind of uh, asked me for this. So might as well give you a trial. So he gave me a couple of pages to try out on and he liked it enough to kind of give me my first job in American comics. That, that's that's risky because he could have taken that very uh, I know, I mean, uh, uh, we had a sort of pre-existing, like, you know, we, we used to chat about music and stuff. So it was not like I was a complete stranger. Uh, but also, yes, I mean... I tried to be polite, but he would have been well within his rights to basically say that, you know, don't bother me. That that, that shows that sometimes you got to, you know, make bold moves, right? It's like no risk, no reward. I mean, I, and I've continued to do those. Like after I went freelance, I've, I, uh, for the first six months or so, I actually sent out something like 30 query letters of different kinds. And I think three of them actually just, you know, resulted in actual work. So 27 people just either saw them and, uh, told me that they didn't need anything or they just like just didn't reply but that's perfectly fine I mean I was the one who was imposing on their time so like they were perfectly within their rights to not reply or whatever so uh, uh, looking at your credits you've you've done lettering for image and boom and vault and oni I, I think pretty much every like indie uh, publisher right but you have you haven't done anything with Marvel or DC is that like on purpose is that just really hard to get into what why is that i mean you also mentioned you don't like superhero comics so maybe you just don't want it to do that right i mean it's not that i don't like them it's like that's not my primary interest in comics so i i read them i read them for like um you know downtime kind of stuff but um it's no it's none of those things like uh i have i've been lucky enough to kind of have a career without marvel or dc being involved if uh somebody from Marvel or DC calls me and says that we would like you to work with us, I would be very happy to. But I like working with creators. I like I like working with people. Like my primary interest in lettering is the people that I work with. Because if I can get good art to work with and if I can get good people to collaborate with, that's what I really want. So if I approached a company, I don't know what people I'd be put with. I've done company work. I've I've worked, done work for Boom. You know, that's corporate work essentially, right? And their editors approached me and said that, look, this is the team that we have and this is the comic that we are making. Is this something that you find interesting? And then we'll do something together. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to go to a company and say that, look, I will do anything that you want me to do. I would rather come in on a project by project basis. I read a Batman comic because it's written by Grant Morrison rather than it's a bat because it's a Batman comic. Like, I mean, one of my favorite comics is actually All-Star Superman, but that's because that's a comic about Superman written by Grant Morrison and drawn by Frank Whiteley, not because it's a Superman comic. Right. So do you have um, relationships with creators and they're reaching out to you to to work on their comic or is it mostly publishers approaching you uh, for lettering work? Uh, it's mostly creators, actually. So um, Image uh, doesn't actually hire anybody, right? 
So image all all the all my image credits come from the creators. So like uh, on Isola, Brendan approached me. Uh, on Motor Crush, I had a chat with Cameron Stewart. I actually kind of uh, walked up to Cameron at Mumbai Comic Con and kind of chatted with him and convinced him to kind of let me letter the book. So that's the thing. Like I mostly work with creators. So yeah, Boom, I think is Boom and Oni are the two companies where the companies have approached me and said that look, uh, we have a book we'd like you on. But otherwise, it's mostly creators. And so creators just like your work. They email you and say, hey. You know, are you interested? Or or I have existing relationships with them. Like um, Ram V, for example, is one of my fairly frequent collaborators that um, more or less at this point, any comic that he has control on who gets to work on it, he'll try and get like people that he's already worked with because there's a there's a pre-existing dynamic. And, you know, we kind of speak each other's language. That's how I tend to get most of my work. Because uh, at some point of time, you just want somebody that you don't have to kind of rehash the basics with. Right. I think that's how uh, writers and letterers especially tend to have a fairly close relationship because um, those are the people giving us the most number of notes. So they need somebody who they have a shorthand with so that they don't have to kind of uh, repeat themselves too much and stuff like that. So you'll actually see these writer-letterer relationships quite a lot in comics. How how long um, did it take you to develop these relationships with the uh, with different creators and publishers where they know who you are, they know your work? Okay, so uh, I've had three stages to my lettering career. Uh, the first was around two thousand nine to two thousand eleven, when I was free. Uh, I was I was a writer and I was freelancing as a letterer. Then I got hired by an Indian company called Graphic India to be their in-house letterer and an editor. I was there with, with them for three years. So in that time, I did not letter for anybody else. And that, that was actually the time where I got to experiment a lot because uh, I was on salary. So let's say I had to re-letter a comic. Nobody had to pay me extra to do it. So I, I would just use the time to experiment with styles and stuff. And then I had a very solid editor with me called Ashwin Pandey. Like he's a, a pretty nice, good writer as well. So he would kind of walk me through what he thought I was doing wrong and stuff. So I had a like I had the freedom to try out anything I wanted and somebody to actually pull me back when I was going too far. So those three years I kind of used for that. And then I went freelance. And that was actually like my current lettering career, essentially. And that took me around, I think it took me like a year and a half to stop worrying about where my next job was coming from. Uh, because I stay in India and uh, most of my credits for Graphic India were not really published, as in published in the American market. So nobody had seen my work before that. So I had to kind of present myself all over again. I had a cup I had a bunch of like really lucky breaks where so Ivan Brandon was somebody that I had lettered one comic for in 2011 and then coincidentally right after I'd quit my job he actually approached me to kind of take over the lettering uh, for Drifter and also to like the, he had two other projects going that turned into Black Cloud and Versus so that happened to be a person I already had an existing relationship with but I also those books give me a lot of credo in the market like you don't necessarily want somebody who's lettered comics that you've never heard of you want somebody who's lettered you know comics at least for people that you know so working with people like Ivan Brandon and Cameron Stewart um, you know that gave me a lot of credit in the industry I would say so it took but it took you it took you a while just I mean if anybody's starting out like you, you right definitely... so I wanted uh, I had a target of like uh, six projects a month uh, and it took me like a year and a half to get there okay 
like on a regular basis. Yeah, and yeah. and I mean several years of working at that that company in India and yeah, so really honing your honing your craft. Five and a half, five and a half years. Okay. I that. Which I mean, look, if you're gonna make a living doing something that you love doing, that's really interesting and artistic. I mean, that's worth it, yeah. obviously. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't give it up for the world. I I love my job. Obviously, I don't want you to talk bad about any any publishers or anything like that. But I'm assuming some publishers they see your work, they say this is great, awesome, print it. And some are more hands on and they have notes and things like that. Um, is that the case that some are a little more picky about what they want in the lettering? Um, not publishers, but I have had a lot of artists actually give me very uh, very specific and intense notes. I remember like one artist actually at least five notes for every page of the comic. Wow. Uh, and it was like a 20 page comic. And I actually, uh, I saw the notes and I kind of went cold, like because there was like a, a shiver ran down my spine. And I asked the writer, like, am I fired? Because it seems like he doesn't like my work. And the writer was like, no, he loves it. He just has very specific notes. <laughs> and after that, I've kind of just become ac uh, very fairly accommodating about like, okay, so people just have very specific ideas. Uh, and then for, for after that, for like a year, I maintained a checklist for every artist. Like, okay, so this artist doesn't like this done on his art. And, you know, this other artist doesn't like this. Uh, and that went on for a year before I kind of became a lot more confident about what I do. Publishers will uh, generally worry about the font. Uh, like when you're starting out on a project, they'll just worry about, okay, can people read this? Uh, after that, they leave it to the, you know, the creatives. Like the editor will probably have a bunch of notes, but those will be like notes that they kind of came up with together with the writer and the artist right. rather than like something that they have specific requirements so for. So what are the kind of notes that you see commonly? I mean, obviously you're very good at what you do, but people still want changes. It's a subjective thing. So what what are the, I'm sure they're not saying you did something wrong. It's more yeah. taste, but what are the, what are those suggestions? Yeah, I've actually, I've actually taken to calling them revisions rather than corrections now for that reason, because I've realized that a lot... Uh, once you kind of uh, get past a particular level of competence, uh, the notes are all subjective. Like they're just like that. This person likes it better that way. In the first two years of uh, of my freelancing, I used to get a lot of notes to move balloons because of reading order and stuff like that. Because I was still feeling my way around. But after that, I've lettered something like ten thousand pages at this point, at least. So I, I'm I kind of have an have a handle on that. Uh, now it tends to be about some notes about color what color I'm using, whether it kind of sits up against the artwork well. Uh, a lot of the time what will happen is that you're lettering over pencils or inks and then the colors come in and you realize that there was something important under your uh, balloon that was not actually visible when it was just black and white. Actually, it's mostly writing modifications now. Like mostly the writer changes their mind about a piece of dialogue and like 95% of my notes will be remove that word or remove that balloon or like change this balloon to this. It won't actually be about my work. It'll, it's notes about their work. You, you mentioned that writers often, you know, once they see the lettering, they have they want to rewrite it, which is, I mean, that makes sense because yeah. it's obviously very different to read it on a, on a Word document than it is to read it on a comic. But is there other stuff that maybe writers should know if there's writers listening to this or artists listening to this that they should should think about because i'm sure a lot of it is like they they're kind of wasting your time because they're like well if you wanted it like this you should have told it from the beginning kind of thing is there things that they can yeah they can do up front so I, I, the advice that i would give to writers is that the moment you get the art back once you have all the art with you you should go through all the art with your script next to it and do a lettering pass before you send it over to the letterer and most of my writers at this point 
do that or like the editor makes them do that. So there's some stuff that is going to be a surprise. Like I'm going to letter something and they'll realize that, oh, it's actually, it actually looks different from what I thought it would look like. Um, so those are perfectly fine. But then there are times when I'll get like reams and reams of notes, which are just rewrites. And there I'm like, look, you did not look at the script after the art came in and that's not okay. So I definitely ask for payment, like extra payment because it's sort of, um, I mean, I have a built-in revision rate, so I generally charge my revision rate for that. And also I just give them like as, as a creator, like this is, it's work that you're making me do for no real reason. Like you could have saved your time and mine if you just kind of gone through the script after the, after the art came in. Now there are, there are uh, specific writers that I have a relationship with where they, uh, they're like, look, I'm going to do a lot of rewrites. You need to kind of take that into your schedule, but I will pay you for those. So when I schedule their books, I generally kind of schedule a longer time. Like I, uh, I kind of make sure that I'm kind of keeping time aside for revisions because I know that that particular book is going to go through like three revision revisions. But it's, I mean, it's still, still not that much fun for me because revisions are not really particularly fun to do. It's like page three, panel six, <laughs> exactly. let's change this book. And you're kind of like, you're going through your illustrator file, trying to find what they're talking about. It's Exactly, exactly yeah. that. You mentioned that you charge extra for revisions and obviously you don't have to give out like numbers of what you charge, but do you normally, the way you charge is you have a normal, like a page rate and does the page rate fluctuate at all? Like depending on who you're working with uh, or anything like that? Uh, yeah, it does. Like, uh, so I have around three to four different rates um, based on the royalties I'm going to get. So uh, again, because I do a lot of work with creators, uh, creators tend to be a lot more open to kind of giving you a backend uh, royalty percentage. So I kind of have different deals with different people. Like here's my page rate if you're not going to give me any backend. But if you're willing to share backend, then I can bring my rate down to this much. On the other hand, with companies, it's actually a time thing. A company will come to me and they'll be like, okay, so this is a very simple style. We think it's going to take you this much time. So would you be able to work at this particular rate? And on the other hand, we'll make allowances for your time. So like, um, you know, there are some publishers who give me a book two months before I need to letter it. So I can just find my time. Like I just have a Thursday afternoon free. I'll letter 10 pages then. So... I'm kind of okay to kind of take a lower rate because they're patient. Like they have to give me something in return for me to kind of cut down my rate. But I have uh, I have a number that I generally work with and the revision rate tends to be around like 50 to 60% of that. And then most people are pretty good about it. Like they realize that, okay, you know what? This is a lot. So we're going to pay you extra for it. For the revisions, ju- just so I understand it, like you charge a rate, for a page rate for the revision? So even if they just want to change one balloon? No, 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 you no, charge... no I don't. Uh, so my regular page rate includes two reasonable rounds of revisions. So okay. So basically all these things where you want to cut like one balloon or you want to delete, a, you want to change an SFX or you just want to change like a couple of balloons here and there. Is that something that you could do right at the beginning or did it take you a while before you had like enough demand for you where you could say, look, I can, I can demand a certain amount of what, what I'm asking is if somebody's just starting, so they say like, yeah, you know, I have to bite my tongue and just do it because I should be lucky to get the work because I'm just starting. See, I, I've done that. I've done that for sure, but it was never a case of me asking and they refused. Um, so like when I was starting out, I didn't even know you could do that. Um, so there was, there was one time when the writer kind of, right, the writer was also new there. And he kind of made me like re-letter a page like seven or eight times. And I didn't know it was unreasonable. And the artist actually stepped in and said that, look, uh, this is a little, this is getting a bit much. 
uh, and we can't like afford to pay him more. So like he kind of implied the artist implied that anything more than this, we need to be paying him extra. I think you have to develop a kind of dynamic where, uh, you know, things are set in advance and you will take hits on that. Like there are people who play like pay like a flat rate. They're like, okay, we will pay you this much and we will not pay for revisions. And you kind of take a gauge of how good they are to work with, how considerate they're going to be. And then you take the hit. People should ask, you know, you should let let people know, hey, this is actually more work than I anticipated. Exactly. I appreciate some extra money. And prob- probably the person, if they're a decent person, will, will agree and say, OK, yeah, we'll, we'll throw you a little bit extra money. Yeah. But because you do a normal amount of revision. So if somebody's trying to get into drawing or lettering comics, they should expect that it's it's pretty standard to do. Yeah, I, I would also say I would also say that if you're working with uh, new people, like I like working with new people because new people will come up with like new ideas about comics and stuff. So I now have a form letter that I send to like, absolute newbies that look I realize that you're new so you don't know a lot of these things so here's the things that I would need from you so that includes stuff like uh, art dimensions okay I need you to tell me when the colors are done to this step Uh, if your artist is new like maybe ask them to do like placements in the thumbnail so they they're leaving enough uh, space and so like there are people who are they've just never thought of these things you know so to kind of wrap up um you did mention you live in India. You're from India. Yeah. Uh, that's obviously one of the wonderful parts about comics that you can kind of live anywhere and work with people across the whole planet. But there is a certain aspect of comics that's, you know, networking and, and going to places. You mentioned the Mumbai Comic Con. Is that a big c- convention? Do a lot of creators and publishers go out for that? Not really. It's it's more of a film-based thing. Uh, but like Ram Ram V that I mentioned earlier, he, uh, he had a stall there and he would kind he was kind of selling one of our books. So that's actually why I went there. But it's it's a relevant point. Like I think without Twitter, for example, I would not have a career at all. Like I would not be in comics without Twitter because uh, everybody who kind of pointed me to my first the first comics that I read that was off Twitter. The first artist that I started working with as a writer was off Twitter, and uh, all almost all my lettering jobs in some way come from Twitter. Other than that, I do make it a point to go to Thought Bubble UK every year. But that's a very recent thing. That's for the last two years. And I intend to do it again this year. I don't know if I've gotten actually work off of that, but I've definitely been made to feel like more of a part of the community. So that's pretty cool. Like I got to kind of essentially like be at a long party with comics nerds for like three or four days. So aside from that, there's there's no, um, I don't know, pressure that you feel to to move to the United States or to the UK to be closer to the publishers and to conventions? Do you feel like it wouldn't make a difference? Like you're, you're, you're happy where you are and you can... I don't know. Maybe when, when I started out, I did think about this. I had that in mind, like maybe two or three years later, I would move there. But as I went along, I realized it was not necessary. Like, because after everything, the work speaks for itself. Well, well people will hire you because you're nice. But if you can't deliver, that's like, it has a limited shelf life, Right. A lot more people have actually contacted me about my work in the last year. And those are all down to like work that I'd already done uh, rather than like that they knew me off Twitter or something. Right. Like if, if you're friends with somebody and they like you and you've had a beer with them, like that'll only get you so far. Like if you're unprofessional and your work is no good. Yeah. Like I, I know people where I've had a beer with them and we definitely like each other, but they already have an existing relationship with a, with a letterer and it's not like they're going to shift. And I wouldn't want them to because like I, I'm I'm pretty big on loyalty. So like the fact that they are loyal to the people that they work with is great. I mean, I appreciate that. So like, let's say you're, you're a writer and you're hiring an artist, colorist and letterer. Whether you like them or not is of 
limited concern after a point. Like, you, of, of course, they should be easy to work with. But beyond that, you want somebody who will create the best comic with you and who's easy to collaborate with. So that only shows in the work itself. You know, I have I have long standing relationships with collaborators who I wouldn't necessarily say we are friends because, yes, we are obviously we get along, but it's not like we talk every day or or like a couple of times a week or anything like that. Like I have collaborators who will only reach out to me when when there, there's a comic to be done and we are on friendly terms, like we will joke around and stuff. But like, I mean, that's the relationship. And that's perfectly fine. I think people see that as a bit of a tragedy or something, but it's not. It's like it's people you worked with and you had a good time working with them. Like that's that counts. Yeah. You know? So my my last question, maybe this is a stupid question, but it has to do with you being in India. Right. Uh, you're in a very different time zone. Oh, yeah. Does that ever um, cause problems where people expect something at a certain time and that's when you're sleeping or that kind of thing? Um, that's happened a few times, but it's not really been a big problem. Uh, but there was a time when I would be working till like three o'clock in the morning. And then the, on print day, I would stay up till like five o'clock in the morning to make sure that everything's getting in on time. But after a time, I realized that I needed to push back on that. And the thing is, it was not like the people were forcing me to do it. Like it's just I was doing it. So they were they were comfortable with that. But when I kind of pulled back and I said that, look, uh, OK, here's my new sort of timeline. Like here's here's my new hours. Right. I'll be available from like, let's say, 11 to 1 a.m. Uh, if this, if something comes up as an emergency. But other than that, I'm only going to work in like India time uh, and you got to adjust around that. People adjusted like nobody had a big problem with that. Uh, once in a while, like once every two or three months, I'll have a book that's kind of people are still scrambling to draw it. And kind of I have to kind of work around that. But that's very rare now. Well, all right. Thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, no problem. This was a uh, this was fun to do. Thank you so much.